It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome again. Matt Hausman, Smart Money Questions Podcast. As I'm recording this, this is March 24th, and you probably already know this, but I want to make sure that I am letting you know, is that we have an extension this year for your personal tax returns that usually are due on April 15th, but they have extended that to May 17th. And no, this is not an April Fool's joke, as this will be posted actually on April Fool's. But one of the things I wanted to make sure as the day that I am doing this, which is the 24th, is yes, the IRS did extend the deadline to file to May 17th. But the one thing that they have not given direction on is if you're wanting to make a contribution to an IRA, to a Roth IRA, to your HSA, et cetera. If you're self-employed, you're going to want to be talking to your accountants about currently, and I went to the IRS website, and it still says that those contributions are due by April 15th. Again, this is not an April Fool's Day, or maybe by the time this posts next week, they will have given more direction. But as of today, and as I am looking at the IRS website and the articles that I have read, is that they haven't given further direction. So if you are looking to make those contributions, especially to an IRA or an HSA, for instance, if you're right on the line on from an income standpoint on being able to get the stimulus money, then you're going to want to make sure, even if you go ahead and file later, if those contributions are what's going to bring you down to be able to get those stimulus checks, you want to make sure to have those contributions in by the deadline that the IRS is recognizing. So again, make sure to talk to your tax professionals if you're going to go down that road. Again, this is not an April Fool's joke. Extension to May 17th, but contributions as of right now, the direction has only been to stay with the current deadline of April 15th. So, all right, listen, everyone, I want to jump into a couple questions that have come in over the course of the last, actually, in this case, the last week, week and a half. Um, Interestingly enough, one of them has uh, a client I I helped go through this process last year with the question that they they gave. So I'm going to go through exactly how I, you know, kind of went through the process on analyzing which direction to go that this question is showing us. So before we do that, let's make sure we deal with a disclaimer. Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss with your advisor. Now, If you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmatt.com. That's www.speakwithmatt.com. And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15 or 30 minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have a second conversation. So again, very low key, 
go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com, and schedule it there. So, all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. All right, so the first question comes to us from Tom in South Carolina. And his, his question is this, I only need about five grand a month to live on in my retirement. And with my Social Security and the pension I get, that total is $5,300. So I'm actually, you know, I'm flush. So his question is, does this mean that I am able to leave my entire 401k to my son? Boy, I bet your son is even happy about that question, Tom. (laughs) I get this question a lot, especially when, you know, people many times in the first five or six, seven years of retirement, I call that the bucket list years, we're spending more. And so, Tom, you want to be thinking about that. I only need five grand. I got 5,300 coming in, but hey, I want to take a trip here. I want to do this over here, what have you. But when you come to that point where all of a sudden now there's, you know, your expense level goes down because you're not doing as much, then now the question is, okay, I have this extra money. Many clients will say, what's the most efficient way that I can get this to my heirs or to a charity that I want to contribute to, what have you. So the couple things we want to realize, first of all, Tom, you're talking about a 401k. This is going to be relevant to a 401k, a 457, a 403b, a traditional IRA. And that is when you get to the age of 72, what do we have to do? We have to take distributions out based on current IRS law. The IRS is saying, or the government is saying, hey, listen, you've had that tax deferral status for a certain point. Now we want our revenue from those monies. Currently, with the SECURE Act that went in place back in in 19, is that is age 72. So, Tom, what that means is you're going to have to start taking money out of that account, whether you need it or not. And you're going to pay taxes, potentially pay taxes on those distributions. And currently, it's based on life expectancy. And as you get older, you have to take out more money. So you want to be aware of that. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't still look to use the values in the 401k as more of a legacy play to your heirs. Or in this case, I want to be able to give it to my son. I don't really need the money. One thing I would tell you to think about is... Right now, your expenses are five grand. Your income is $5,300. You're not having to pull anything out of that retirement account. Is We want to be aware of inflation. It's not going to be five grand forever. And so the other thing, as inflation, I, I read this great quote the other day by Milton Friedman. It's, inflation is taxation without legislation. Inflation is going to happen automatically. And what is inflation? It is the increasing cost or the decreasing ability for your dollars to buy what they could two years, five years, ten years ago. And so we want to be aware of that, first of all. We also want to be aware that is a 401k or a Roth IRA the most tax-efficient vehicle to go to your heirs? It could make sense, and this is a strategy that we use with a lot of clients, regardless if they're wanting it to go to the heirs or not, we're wanting to make sure that as we get older, that the minimum distributions don't become a tax stranglehold on us, especially if we don't need the money. So we might be taking monies out of the 
qualified retirement accounts early before the age of 72, maybe we're spending them, maybe we're reinvesting them into, let's just say, a traditional brokerage account, maybe we're converting them to Roth. And even, Tom, if you don't need those monies, you're putting that in, in not spending it, obviously, but if you're converting to a Roth or you're putting into a traditional brokerage account or maybe some other type of investment, maybe you and your son, you know, you want to buy real estate or what have you, is you're putting it in currently, you're putting it into a more tax-efficient situation for him or your heirs. And why do I say that? Well, somebody is going to pay the tax on all of that deferred and contributed money into a 401k, traditional IRA, 403b, what have you. And currently, they changed the laws under the SECURE Act, which, by the way, extended the minimum distribution age to 72, but it also drastically changed the stretch IRA rules for the heirs. They used to be able to, you would always have to take a minimum distribution, but it was based on your age. In this case, he's obviously younger than you are. And they used to be able to extend that their entire lifetime. Now, under the new rule, is they're going to make your heirs take that money out over a 10-year period of time. And if they don't take it out by the end of the 10th year, there is a 50% penalty on whatever the balance is because they got to get rid of it. they got to pull it out of that tax-deferred status. So you want to be aware of that. So maybe one of the things you want to look at, Tom, I would definitely be looking at inflation for yourself long-term. So some of that money is probably going to be needed for that. I'm going to aim to say, yes, Social Security currently has a COLA or a, you know an increased benefit that can happen every year. But more than likely, unless you're you know a federal employee, your pension is a stagnant pension. So we want to be make sure we're looking at that. But then looking at where and how to move those monies out of that 401k. And just to let you know, this is an ongoing year-after-year strategy that you want to be implementing. For instance, if a client comes to me and, hey, I want to convert my entire 401k to a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA, that's probably not going to be the most efficient way to do that because your tax bill more than likely is going to be pretty high. So we want to look at that strategy year over year, moving monies out of that tax-deferred status, deciding, you know, I have clients that also, instead of the heirs or the charity having to wait until they've passed to get that account. They, one of my clients many years ago called it a living legacy. So you can employ gifting strategies where you're gifting that money to your heir. I've got clients right now that that gifting strategy is going into a Roth IRA for their heirs. So, you know, there's different ways that you can do that, but I would tell you, Tom, the biggest thing to look at is moving the monies out of the retirement account to a more tax-efficient vehicle for your heirs. And one of the things, again, to consider would be inflation. I can't, I, I don't imagine that your bills are always going to just be five grand. I'm going to aim to say that they're going to go up. So those are just a couple things that I would consider. You know, that's pro- you know, we're probably looking for a yes or no answer. There's this is where you always want to think about. There's different things that you have to look at, different strategies you can implement to achieve a greater opportunity for the question that you have. So hopefully that helps you, Tom. And if you have any questions, you know, know that you can reach out to me. Speakwithmat.com again, www.speakwithmat.com. Schedule a 15 or 30 minute conference call and we can discuss this in more detail. 
The next question, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is the exact situation that a client of mine found themselves in last year. So the question is this. This is uh, Derek in Florida. Is my, my aunt died recently and left her house and some cash to me. I've never had a desire to buy rental property before, but I'm considering keeping the house as a rental property now that this opportunity has basically fallen into my lap. Is this wise or would I be better off to sell sell it and invest the proceeds? So what I want to go through, Derek, is the process that I went through with a client to help them you know, come to their own decision on what was going to be best for them. So the first thing that I would ask you, Derek, is you're in Florida. Where's the property? Is it local? You know, if if the property is in Memphis, Tennessee, and you're down in Florida, you know, now you're, you're probably looking at potentially some more expenses because you're going to have to have a property management firm looking over that property for you. So one of the things is considering, is it local or not? You mentioned that you also receive some cash. When you're going to look at actually renting or selling, let's talk about renting though. We know in a rental situation, if there's any renovations or rehab work that need to be done, if anything, sprucing the place up, let's just say you come in, you slap on a new coat of paint and you throw down some new carpet, is how much cash did you end up getting in this? And is that going to be enough for those renovations? Or are we going to have to go into our own kitty to be able to pay for those renovations that are going to be needed, especially when it comes to a rental? Because a renter, a tenant, is going to be expecting, you know, because just about every other place they walk into, especially like an apartment complex, they're going to walk in and they're going to smell that fresh carpet, smell that fresh paint. But are there other things that have to be, you know, needed to be done? You know, maybe it needs a new AC, maybe it needs a new heater, roof, maybe that some plumbing needs to be done, certain updating, you know, what's going to be the cash needed to get it to the point of renting. Now you can you can do the same thing with regards to selling. Is, you know, is it in a position right now where I'm going to get fair market value or is it going to take some, you know, some renovation. So first of all, that's another thing or that's one of the things that I would be looking at. The next thing when it comes to how much cash is going to be needed, are you going to be doing part of that work to hopefully reduce some of that cost or are you going to be hiring out? And then most importantly, especially if you are renting this property, are you going to be the one doing the ongoing necessary maintenance or the call on a Saturday night that the toilet won't work? Are you going to be the one doing that or are you going to be hiring that out. Um, the other thing that I would tell you to look at with regards to the the rental is having a rental property in today with today's tax codes can be very attractive as long as you have a tenant that's paying. Now, one of the things to consider, and you know, when I was dealing with this, um, I, I'm sorry, it wasn't last year. It was like 18, 19 months ago because it was pre-COVID is, you know, currently, and there's been some recent articles right now that have come out on extending the moratorium on evictions. So if you have tenants that aren't going to pay you, you're still going to have expenses related to that rental. You know, you're going to have real estate taxes, you're going to have property insurance, etc. 
And you're going to have to be coming out of pocket potentially if the tenant isn't going to pay you. Now, there's there's people, there's, you know, realtors that are really involved in that, that like we have clients that can make sure that, you know, you're, you're putting a tenant in there that you don't have to worry about. But the reality is right now, that's something that you need to consider, especially if they continue the moratorium on those evictions and you can't get a tenant out who's not paying you. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are great tax benefits with a rental property, especially, and this is something, Derek, you want to consider, is are you going to keep the property for an extended period of time? And so that really becomes important on the tax front because, you know, you're going to be depreciating the property. If you're only going to hold it five, eight, ten years, and then you're going to sell it, and hopefully the property has appreciated over time, you're going to owe taxation, you're going to owe capital gains, plus you're going to owe the the payback of the depreciation that you've had over that extended period of time. Now, many clients I have that have been in the real estate market, as I've mentioned before, is they're holding on to it because of that exact reason. It's going to be more beneficial for the heirs than it is for for them to to cash out. Now, they've cashed out some properties, but not like their whole rental portfolio. So, but let's go the other route. Let's talk about the idea of now flipping the property or just selling the property. And in many cases, and I'm going to use myself as an example, when, I don't know if I spoke about this quite a while ago, when my dad passed away, my dad had a property up in Ohio. It was actually the house that he, uh, that he grew up in. And my dad passed away in Florida. My mom was still in Florida. And she was like, she didn't, well, first of all, Derek, she wasn't even thinking about renting the property. But the idea was, I just want to sell it. I just want to unload it. So we put a, uh, actually had my aunt who was still up in Ohio at the time, put a sign out with my number on it. And we pro- I probably got about 30 calls within the first four or five days. And this is going on about 10 years ago. And it was an as-is sale. So one of the things to look at if you're going to flip the property or just sell it is there's the potential, if it's in a position to be able to sell it as is. And in this case, the, the property up in Ohio, it, it, it had some issues, but it wasn't like falling down. And we were able to sell it as is. In that case, now, Derek, you have no cash infusion for renovations. You have no capital at risk. And potentially, because of the current step-up in basis that you received... When your aunt passed away, what in the world does that mean? That mean, let's say she bought it for a hundred grand, and now it's worth three hundred grand. When she passed, your basis now is on three hundred thousand. What that means is you're only going to owe tax on anything you sell over that. So let's say you sell it for, I mean, real estate right now is hot. It seems like I get these kind of questions all the time now. And let's say you sell it for three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. You're only going to go owe tax on the twenty-five thousand dollars. So think about that from a selling standpoint. We have no capital infusion. We have no ongoing potential capital needs. We have no tenant issues. And we just took a chunk of money. And what was the back? The back part of your question was, should I just sell it and invest the proceeds? Now, the second, you know, we could spend a whole other show on where to invest it. But I think what you want to be looking at, sit down to yourself and write, if I keep the property and I rent it, what are the pluses and minuses of doing that? And by the way, I remember when I did this with the client is their pluses and minuses, for instance, with the rental 
was different than what mine would have been. For instance, I'm a mechanical zero, you know. If, if you've heard me talk before, Maggie doesn't let me do anything in the house <laughs> or, or the cars. You know, so in that case, it was going to be, you know, one of the upkeep issues was going to be the cost of contractors and or property management firms, which what does that do? That decreases the positive cash flow opportunity that the rental income would normally provide. So in that case, that upkeep situation was, you know, a negative to be a minus. My client, though is extremely able to, I mean, basically he can do anything within the house that is. I mean, you know, he could build a house. So in his, in his case, hey, I don't care. I like doing that stuff. It's not going to cost anything but my time. It's going to increase my my rental positive cash flow. That's a positive to me, right? You know, so you go through that scenario for yourself, pluses and minuses on the rental, and then do the same thing for selling the property. And after you come to a determination on which direction you're going to go, if you decide you're going to sell it, then you go into the next step of the answer, which is, okay, I've just, I've decided the direction I'm going to go. Now, where do I invest it? That's a whole other subject. But I think the first thing you want to do is really look at the idea of having a rental property by the way, from what you're saying, you know, you never had a desire all of a sudden here. Clearly, this is your first. You know, do some research on, you know, how to make sure your rentals stay rented and you have the positive cash flow. You know, the top 10 ways to make sure your, you know, your rental property is ready for the first tenant to come in and get it rented. What do you need to have in the leases? Do you need to hire a realtor? Best things about a property management firm. Go through that process on the rental aspect and then do the same thing on the selling prospect. Heck, what you might end up finding is I don't want to be in the rental business. I want to sell this. And my reinvestment is going to be, I really like this idea of flipping properties. I mean, that's a whole other scenario besides rental. So to go back again, Derek, I would sit down, write the pluses and minuses for you personally with regards to being in the rental situation or going ahead and just unloading the property. And once you've come to that, if it is on the side of just selling the property, then where you invest it is a whole other uh, situation. So hopefully that helps you, Derek. Again, uh, I had that situation 18, 19 months ago with a client, and that's the process that they went through to determine the direction they wanted to go. So that's all I've got for today, everyone. If you have a situation or scenario that you would like for us to deal with on the show here, all you got to do, send it to us, info at smartmoneyquestions.com or simply go to smartmoneyquestions.com. There's a place right there, ask Matt a question, that'll come right into us. If you would like to speak to me personally about a situation or scenario or just a question that you have in your own personal life, feel free to do that. My online calendar is speakwithmatt.com. Again, www.speakwithmatt.com. Take care, everyone. We'll talk soon. We'll see you.